This talk is called Christianity and Liberalism, the Relevant Message of J. Gresham Machen. Uh, I just want you to picture in your mind beautiful slides, beautiful black and white photos of him and his YMCA uh, military outfit from World War I. I want you to picture you know, his, his, his lovely and God-fearing mother, uh, his, his uncle who fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. I want you to picture all those things. I actually don't have slides of all those things, so that's why I want you to picture them. But I do have a lot of quotes on slides, so uh, I'll just try to read them well and work through this material uh, with you. I spent the summer with a uh, stodgy, eccentric bachelor, not Mark Zakevich. And I learned a lot from uh, J. Gresham Machen. And I think the way to start thinking about his life is to think about the end of his life. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into this, this deal. And I, I think it's going to be helpful. Father, thank you for uh, the life of your servant. We look back in church history, and we see uh, people like us, flawed uh, examples of faithfulness to Jesus uh, with something to teach us, something to show us. And so, Father, thank you for the testimony and writings of this man, and I pray that what's true of what he taught a century ago uh, would influence us even today at Grace Church. Help us to uh, be faithful with what you've, you've entrusted us and grow us together in the likeness of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Okay, so this talk is called Christianity and Liberalism, the Relevant Message of J. Gresham Machen. And I do think it's, it's best to start at the end of his life. Well, that was promising. Uh, it's the first time we've seen a blip like that, so that's big. Uh, so starting at the end of his life, and then we got to get into uh, what is Christianity and Liberalism. Uh, J. Gresham Machen uh, is a an interesting figure. He died at age 55 in on New Year's Day, 1937, in North Dakota. What a way to go. Hey, there it is. Let's go. <laughs> Alex Yee. John Mark. John Mark. Yeah, good. Okay. All right, quick confession. It's not really that good of a slideshow, so I'm, <laughs> now I'm going to feel really exposed because it's just... <laughs> okay, can we go to that first, that first slide? I want to be on that first slide, that first slide. Yeah, that's where I want to be. So that, there he is. There, is. there is Dr. Machen. He was a professor of New Testament. He was a southern man born at Baltimore, but his parents, his mother especially, was from Machen, Georgia. He was born 16 years after the end of the Civil War. So he was a man that had the ethos of, of a Southern Confederate uh, aristocrat. He was uh, what we would consider a millionaire in, in our days. He inherited a vast amount of money in his time and uh, was beholden to no one. George Marsden says he had a personality that only his friends could endure. So he was uh, not a universally liked guy, 
uh, but he was a champion defender of the faith. And his book, Christianity and Liberalism, has enduring effect today. This year marks the 100th anniversary of the publication of that book in 1923, which was originally an address given to a a presbytery and then turned into a book uh, that was certainly his best-selling and most well-known book. Uh, He was a a divisive figure. He led uh, people out of the Presbyterian denomination and uh, became the founder of something called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's what it's known as today. Uh, He left, along with uh, several significant colleagues, Princeton Seminary, which was a bastion of conservative theology, and he left there and founded a, a seminary called Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, uh, not many people are familiar with the name J. Gresham Machen. I mean, how many of you are, are, know about J. Gresham Machen very much? See, just a handful, and, and that, that makes sense to me. Uh, you know Augustine, you know Calvin, uh, you know Spurgeon. J. Gresham Machen died in North Dakota when he was 55. What a way to go. And it was on Christmas break uh, from Westminster Seminary, an institution that he founded seven years prior, just a brand new school, uh, started with 50 students or so, and and really he started that school out of his own pocket uh, along with some some other donors that that made it happen because of the drift occurring uh, across Christianity, across the United States, uh, and especially at Princeton Seminary where he had been for decades. Uh, He found himself in North Dakota because he'd been asked to to rally the, the churches in the plains there for a pastor friend of his. He was supposed to give a series of sermons. He, he had been in ill health. His colleagues at the school at Westminster told him he shouldn't go, he should rest, uh, but that was J. Gresham Machen. Uh, when you don't have a wife, you don't have uh, anyone that reminds you what you should do. And he didn't have a wife, so he, he went to North Dakota anyway and uh, his cough turned worse to pleurisy and then to pneumonia, and uh, he uh, preached anyway for several appearances, really trying to rally the conservative movement among the Presbyterians there and encourage them uh, to support uh, the, the work that Westminster Seminary was doing to support this new denomination. And next thing you know, he was in the hospital on New Year's Eve, 1936, and he sent a telegram uh, through a messenger who went and sent the telegram. That's the next one there. And it famously recorded his, you know, his last written words, which was so thankful. He wrote to John Murray, uh, one of his colleagues, uh, a well-known theologian, John Murray. He wrote, so thankful for the active obedience of Christ no hope without it. And that was, uh, that was the last thing we get from J. Gresham Machen, a thankfulness for the active obedience of Christ, apart from which he had no hope. His contribution is Christianity Liberalism, a book that was uh, widespread because of the controversies of his day. Uh, he still has a Greek primer that's in print, and some Greek professors still use uh, 
uh, this, this, this one is not in print anymore. It's an old copy, but you can get a brand new copy of Machen's Greek, New Testament Greek for beginners. I mean, he was a seminary professor. He was a controversialist. Uh, he was a Southern aristocrat. He was highly educated, uh, both in our country and in Europe, and he died at age 55. Uh, people didn't say nice things about him when he died. Um, he was seen as representing the fundamentalist school, seen as someone who, who was hanging on to old ways. And what I want to do today is, is look at his most enduring message. I want to look at the message of his work, Christianity and Liberalism. Uh, basically, I, I read it for you. You're, you're allowed to read it. You should read it. Uh, but I, I read it and tried to synthesize the arguments to show how this person, who many assess his life as a failed mission, uh, cut short in his prime, uh, how the message of this book, though, has an enduring impact and, and really needs to be something that we understand at Grace Church if we're going to trust God in the future. And, and I think it does answer a few, a few questions that, that set it in its, its spot. Give me, I'm going to say next slide like it's 1955. Next slide. Um, so the reason some of you are here is because the word liberalism was, was in the title of this talk, and we're sick of liberalism, right? We, we think liberalism and we think uh, the current administration, we think the trans agenda, uh, we think political liberalism versus conservatism. And that's not what liberalism means in Machen. It wasn't a political movement for Machen. In fact, he regrets naming his book Christianity and Liberalism. He wished he would have called it Christianity and Modernism. So what is liberalism? What does he mean by liberalism? And I think I would just direct your attention to the church down the street from your house. Uh, You've seen it. It's maybe a Lutheran church, and it has a rainbow flag uh, on on the flagpole. You've met a Christian who says that, well, it doesn't really matter if you take Genesis 1 literally or not because it's Hebrew poetry. Uh, You understand uh, that there are people who claim to be Christians but follow after the ethos of this age, people like Oprah. Uh, You understand that there is something called progressive or, or liberal Christianity. And this was the enduring issue in the early 20th century that had Machen's concern and attention and what got him riled up. Uh, The word liberal uh, really needs to be understood as generous or as free. So it's not liberal as it relates to the opposite conservative. It's liberal as it relates to uh, incarcerated. Liberal, like a liberal arts education, is an education that would ensure someone their ability to participate in a free society. And so liberalism in Machen's time was the bastion of modernism. It was scientific progress. It was the improvement of of the human condition. It was the development of technology and travel. Uh, Things were moving so fast from from automobiles to locomotives to uh, urban improvements. This was part of the concern 
that Machen had. And he didn't see technology as an enemy or advancement as an enemy. But he saw that there were so many assumptions that came along with this new age of scientific progress. Things like Darwinism that made Machen realize that there was a movement happening in churches and in seminaries, in pulpits and in pews where people were trying to change Christianity to make it acceptable to modern man. That's what modernism was for Machen. That's what liberalism was. If liberalism is trying to reduce Christianity down, this is what it was doing, by taking doctrinal distinctions away, by not focusing on the historical Christ, but Christ as an event or Christ as an ethos. This may start to sound more familiar to you if you're familiar with progressive Christian writers. Uh, There's a sentimentality that's rampant in churches today. Even the the kind of of televangist who, who speaks of sin lightly or doesn't use the word sin at all, but uses a word like regret or sad mistakes or or messiness. Uh, All of this was the beginnings of divisions within the the churches in the United States. Uh, They'd sent their, their young men to go study for a PhD in Europe, and they'd come back infected with uh, German liberal theology, a theology that, that lessened sin and was less concerned about the precise historic realities the Bible claims and more concerned about maintaining the appearances of Christianity, uh, still uh, holding on to confessions but reinterpreting them because of the place of emotion. Uh, emotion had become the verifier of truth and, and authenticity. And if it didn't feel true, it couldn't be true. And that's something that we understand today. There's lots of of progressive or liberal Christians who say that truth is only valuable if it conforms to our preferences. Truth only matters uh, if how it affects you. Uh, This is a quote from John McCallum. Uh, He's a an outspoken modernist minister, a liberal minister in Philadelphia, writing in a newspaper article in 1923. He says, the liberals have accepted the enlarged view of the universe, which has been established by modern astronomy, geology, and biology. Instead of blindly denying scientific facts, as the obscurants have always done, they've adjusted themselves to them, and in so doing have increased their faith and urbanity and consequently extended their influence, particularly with the educated classes. Liberalism is an atmosphere rather than a series of formulas. You follow that? Liberalism is an atmosphere rather than a series of of formulas. Carl Truman, in his introduction to an edition of Christian Liberalism that came out a few years back, said these words, the world is more deeply secular and ignorant of the most basic of biblical truths, even the whole notion of transcendent truth. A gospel rooted in Scripture and based in the historical action of God in Christ is still the primary need of the world around us. Anything less is not just inadequate in its reality, not historic, redemptive Christianity in any meaningful sense. And that's what Machen was trying to set up. 
Machen was declaring war on a kind of Christianity that had made light of the realities, the historicity, the doctrines, the liberal had replaced traditional historic Christian confessions with something that was intended to defend the faith in the modern ethos, to defend the faith among the enlightened, among the educated, because of the advancements, particularly in science, that seemed to be undermining the teaching of the Bible, they thought we need to accommodate to these changes and we need to present the historic Christian faith without all the trappings of the past. It needs an update. It needs uh, a new presentation, a new face. And it needs to take in an atmosphere where they can still talk about Christ, but not necessarily affirm that he actually existed. And this is where most mainline denominations find themselves. We live off the 210 freeway, not 10 minutes from here, and in beautiful Sunland, Tahunga. And just down the road, when we're looking for civilization, we go to Pasadena, right? You've been to Pasadena, little old lady from Pasadena. So it's full of beautiful churches. Have you seen some of the beautiful churches in Pasadena? Stone uh, churches, beautiful steeples, incredible stained glass and interiors. And you can walk into almost any one of those lovely churches and you will find not Bible teaching, not worship to Christ alone, but you'll find an amalgamation of religions that have come together and taken on the form and appearance of Christianity but have done away with the precision and exactness and historicity of Christian doctrine. They have been adopting and evolving and changing for a long time. And that's the story of the, of the liberalism that Machen was confronting. So what is liberalism? Here's, here's his thesis of his book. Uh, the truth is, this is Machen, that the manifold religious life of the present day, despite interlocking of the branches and much interaction, does not spring from one root, but from two. One root is Christianity. The other is a naturalistic or antagonistic modernism, which despite Christian influences in detail, is fundamentally hostile to the Christian faith. What Machen is saying is that these churches that have abandoned the historic Christian faith and have adopted to what's hot right now, whether that's uh, the new sexual revolution, whether that's an undermining of the biblical's account of creation, whether that's the roles of men and women, what, whatever it is that's, that's unpopular with modern man, the churches that sought to adopt the ethos of the time, the opinion of, of the population, this was the liberalism that had infected uh, the most conservative school uh, in, the, in the Presbyterian world, which was Princeton Theological Seminary. Machen himself had graduated from Princeton. Machen had taught at Princeton for many years, New Testament. And 
the, the faculty that Machen studied under, men like B.B. Warfield, were stalwarts of the faith. They held strong to the, the, the doctrines. But as these cracks began to appear, some of these men uh, began to show uh, a need to adopt, a need to accommodate to scientific theories and uh, felt the, the need to defend Christianity uh, was one that caused them to waver, not Machen. Machen is asserting here that liberal Christianity or progressive Christianity, this is the thesis, is not a good and godly people can disagree. It is not just a a tertiary matter of of doctrine. Uh, We have more in common than we have in different. Machen asserted that those who adopted Christianity to the spirit of its time and denied its historicity, its essential doctrines, were not Christians at all. He didn't care if they were Presbyterians or Methodists. He didn't care if they had beautiful stone churches with stained glass windows. He didn't care if they were the accepted teachers in the academy, if they were the most respectable preachers in society. They were not Christian if they denied the reality of who Christ is. That's what Machen is saying when he says it's not, the, it's not a root leading to a tree with different branches. It's two completely different trees. So the liberals would critique the evangelicals and the fundamentalists because they would say they are focusing too much on the Bible, too much on the world to come, uh, and too much on sin and not enough on societal help and progress, and the theological liberals would dispense with the substance of Christianity, but retain its symbols, its forms, and sometimes even its piety. And this was Machen's experience, actually. Machen, in in his own studies, when he went to Europe uh, two times, once for a a travel trip uh, and another time to study, encountered liberalism in its most attractive form. In America, it it had been championed by guys like Henry Emerson Fosdick. uh, But in Europe, Machen encountered German liberalism early on as a young man and found in it really a person, a person who beguiled him. His name was Wilhelm Hermann. Machen was captivated with this man. And he was confused by the mix of theological liberalism and what appeared to be sincere devotion to Jesus. In fact, in a letter he wrote to his mother, Machen wrote to his mother, he said, Herman affirms very little of that which I have accustomed to regard as essential to Christianity. Yet there is no doubt in my mind that he's a Christian and a Christian of a particularly earnest type. He goes on in another letter to say he was profoundly shaken, even overwhelmed by his encounter with this man whose fervor and moral earnestness was so impressive. And I think it was Machen's encounter with this false teacher in Germany who had this pietistic, wise, highly educated, deep appearance of faith but denied the essentials that Machen was, was raised on. 
Machen grew up in the Southern Presbyterian Church. Their views on slavery were abhorrent, but their views on the gospel, like the people of their times, were accurate. At age seven, the earliest recorded writing we have from Machen, he wrote this, I have finished Matthew and nearly finished Mark. And then I'm going to begin at the very beginning, he spelled beginning, of the, because he's seven. Uh, but, I mean, who's writing a sentence like this when they're seven, though? I finished Matthew, I've nearly finished Mark, and then I'm going to begin at the very beginning of the whole Bible. It seems to me that on Sunday, I can never get enough of my catechism. He misspelled catechism, too. But he hadn't peaked yet. I peaked at seven. So Machen had this, this commitment to the Bible that he was raised on, but he runs into this person who, who is charismatic and influential and winsome and impressive, and it nearly causes Machen to lose his faith, to adopt this, this liberal ethos. But because Machen comes back and, and meets, I think mainly it's the influence of B.B. Warfield and others who helped Machen to see that he could engage his mind and he could affirm scientific progress as being something in God's providence that he'd ordained, and he could believe every word of the Bible, this made Machen walk away from the influence of Wilhelm Hermann, and it would begin the fight that he'd have his whole life against liberalism. Okay, so that's, that's kind of setting up liberalism. Uh, liberals were trying to save Christianity by updating it to the spirit of the age, by bending its ethos to be sympathetic to the concerns of modern man. They tried to rescue Christianity by making concessions to the objections of science, unbelief in the Bible, diluting the core doctrines of Christianity because of what was popular in their day. And, And if you can't see that temptation as being something that's still with us now, uh, and I, you, you can't see anything at all. What's the next slide say? Oh, we're somewhere. Oh, in setting forth the current liberalism over against Christianity, we are animated by no merely negative or polemic purpose. This is Machen. On the contrary, by showing what Christianity is not, we hope to be able to show that Christianity is in order that people may be led to turn from the weak and beggarly elements and have recourse again to the grace of God. So that's the thesis statement in the introduction to his book, Christianity and Liberalism. And what I wanna do now is I wanna walk you through those seven chapters quickly and show you how relevant this message is for us. So again, there's Christianityism, and the original address was called Liberalism or Christianity, which I think helps clarify. So liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all is what Machen is seeking to prove. And the reason he's trying to prove that is because if you let the heart and soul of Christian orthodoxy go, you lose the gospel, you lose salvation, you lose the church, you lose any avenue you have to the grace of God. If you abandon propositional truth, if you abandon doctrine, 
If you walk away from orthodoxy, you walk away from the faith altogether, no matter how much you talk about a kind of mystical and um, confusing faith. No matter how much you talk about Jesus Christ, unless you can affirm the scripture's testimony about Jesus and his testimony about himself, then you are not actually a Christian. And he's trying to recover Christianity from those who have attempted to run off with it, to abscond with it, and to change it, and to modernize it, and to make it accommodate to the spirit of the age. Does that help? Are we at a place of setup yet? Okay, sorry. I was having a few AV problems myself. Here in many other departments of life, this is, yeah, mm -hmm, that the things that are sometimes thought to be the hardest to defend are also the things that are most worth defending. That's a Machen quote. It sounds like a John MacArthur quote, but that, that's, that's, again, the beginning of his book. He's got hard work to do to prove his thesis, but the things that are hardest to defend are also the things that are most worth defending. So that's chapter one, the introduction, setting the stage. Uh, now let's look at chapter two, which is on doctrine. Chapter two on doctrine. Look at this next slide. It says, what is it that forms the content of that primitive teaching. Primitive teaching meaning original Christianity, Christianity in the book of Acts, Christianity in the early church. What is it that forms the content of that primitive teaching? Is it a general principle of the fatherliness of God or the brotherliness of man? And we'll see a little bit more on this in the fourth chapter, but that's classic liberal Christianity. It, it teaches people that, look, God is our father, Right? Our Father who art in heaven. That's the, the Lord's prayer. God is a Father, but He's a Father to everyone, to all of creation. And there's a sense where that's true, right? I mean, God is God the Father. He is the creator of, of all. He's the sustainer of all. But the liberals had taught that that was a reality that was the beginning of the gospel, not an alienation from that father because of our sin, but a benevolence of that father because of his fatherliness towards everyone apart from any intervention of Jesus Christ. And so they would teach things that would go towards the fatherliness of God and the universal brotherhood of man that anyone could accept no matter what Jesus did, no matter what our sin does, no matter what the message of salvation is. And so Machen is saying, what is the content of original Christianity according to Jesus and his apostles? Is it a vague admiration for the character of Jesus such as that which prevails in the modern church? Nothing could be further from the fact. Note the word content. Note the word vague admiration. Note the concept of fact. That is what drives Machen when it comes to Christian doctrine. Next slide. But if any one fact is clear on the basis of this evidence, it is that the Christian movement at its inception was not just a way of life in the modern sense, which is what the liberals were arguing for. Christianity as a way of life. Christianity as a, as a positivity. Christianity as a, a way you could integrate into all the religions together. He says it's not just a way of life in the modern sense, but a way of life founded upon a message. It was based not upon mere feeling, 
but upon a mere program of work, but upon an account of facts. In other words, it was based on doctrine. You see, what Machen is is doing here, (laughs) I'm skipping some stuff because of time. What Machen is doing here is he's telling us that Christianity is doctrinal. The liberal said Christianity is alive, not a doctrine. And that can be beguiling. That can be tricky because it sounds true. But Machen goes on to say it's radically false. To detect its falsity, one does not even need to be a Christian. For to say that Christianity is a life is to make an assertion in the sphere of history. The assertion does not lie in the sphere of ideals. It's far different from saying that Christianity ought to be a life or that the ideal religion is a life. The assertion that that Christianity is a life is subject to historical investigation exactly as is the assertion that the Roman Empire under Nero was a free democracy. Machen is driving that the, the clear fact and the basis of evidence is that you can't recast Christianity as a way of life apart from the message of Christianity. And this is what the Bible says, right? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul. This is what I gave to you of first importance, he tells the Corinthians in chapter 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. You see, the the teaching of Christianity is absolutely contingent on the reality and historicity of the incarnation, the sinless life, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You can't get rid of the details and the doctrine and the facts and the history of Christianity to smooth it over to the modernist because the German liberals had undermined the authority and clarity and inspiration of the Bible. But they tried to hang on to the churches. They tried to hang on to the concepts. They tried to hang on to the forms, even hanging on to creeds with with reinterpreting them. But when you go back to the Bible, the Bible insists that Christian doctrine, truth, is the basis of our message. That Christianity isn't a lifestyle based on modern times. It's a lifestyle that is built in propositional truth, not in emotional conceptions of the fatherliness of God. The Apostle Paul was committed to doctrine and grace, and he didn't choose between those two things. Machen in in this chapter gives a lengthy example. I'll summarize it briefly. When Paul is preaching and, or he's talking in Philippians and there's preachers in Philippians chapter one who are preaching in order to do him harm. And Paul commends them. Their motives are bad. They're preaching uh, to get Paul in deeper trouble, to get him stuck in prison longer. I don't know how that worked, but that's what Paul said was happening. And Paul rejoices that they're preaching the gospel because they're preaching the real gospel. Now, when you get to the book of Galatians, it's a totally different situation. They're preaching a gospel that's been twisted and changed and added to, 
a gospel that includes perfection by works. And Paul says they can go to hell. They're accursed. They're anathema. And it's just that one little difference, right? Because the Philippian bad guys are preaching the right gospel with bad motives. But Paul says the reality and facts and propositions of the gospel matter more than what these guys are trying to do to do me harm. But when the Galatians tinker with the gospel or mess with the gospel, he says they're out. That's how important the truth, the reliability, the propositions of Christianity are. That's why it matters what we believe, not just the name of saying, well, I'm a Christian too, you know. I just am a different kind of Christian. I don't believe all that antiquated stuff. This is why with so many new folks in our church, and maybe you're a new folk in our church, hello, welcome, glad to have you, uh, I tell them all the time when they're talking about church membership and excited to join our church, I tell them that that's great and good. I love church membership. Uh, but have you taken our fundamentals of the faith class yet? And the reason is, is not just, you know, I don't think, I don't, I don't get a commission for fundamental of faith um, that I know about. But because what they do in that class is, it's funny, at Grace, fundamentals of faith is like, it's a lot of weeks. I don't know. Does anybody know how many weeks it is? 22, yeah. I mean, that's like the triangle offense being the fundamentals of basketball. Um, so it's a lot, right? And I love that because, you know, most fundamental faith classes is like an hour. This is 22 hours. And it just reminds you that doctrine really matters, that what we believe as Christians, the distinctive marks of Christianity is Christianity. Machen goes on to say, if Christianity is made independent of doctrine, then Paulinism, then Paul's theology, must be removed from Christianity root and branch. This is how important doctrine is. Uh, what is doctrine? It, it is the presentation of the facts which lie at the basis of the Christian religion with the true meaning of the facts. You see, liberals would contort important words. They'd change the meaning of atonement. They'd change the meaning of faith. They'd change the meaning of resurrection. Uh, well, resurrection is in all of us, kind of mumbo jumbo. And that is what Machen called indifferentism. He got that word from Luther. Indifferentism about doctrine makes no heroes of the faith. That's a Machen line. Indifferentism about doctrine makes no heroes of the faith. That might be the next slide, but it might not. But I'll take the next slide either way. Okay, no, we're moving on to chapter three. Smart, Duncan, good idea. Okay, managing several things here. Okay, chapter three. Chapter three is about God and man. And here's, here's how to summarize this. We already talked a little bit about the fatherhood of God. That was the liberal offering. Or you could have the true gospel, who God is and what God requires and what God has accomplished. Uh, the liberals talked about the nobility of man and what Machen countered with was man's utter sinfulness. Next slide for me. Uh, this, is, this is Machen really getting to the heart of this. At the very root of the modern liberal movement is the loss of consciousness of sin. So Machen believed, and I think the Bible clearly teaches, that what you believe about God and man is how you understand the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It's how you understand salvation. 
and propositional truth about God or theology and about man or anthropology help us understand what God requires and what man must do. And so as he talked about God, he combated the mamby-pamby, fuzzy kind of understanding of, well, God is everyone's father. That's the essence of Christianity. He called it vague and compared it to natural religion and paganism because uh, that's not the gospel as it's proclaimed. He saw it as in direct opposition to the New Testament. Machen said the gospel itself refers to something entirely different, The really distinctive New Testament teaching about the fatherhood of God concerns only those who've been brought into the household of faith. So that was Machen's understanding of God. God is holy. God is transcendent. God is a God of perfect justice, a God of wrath, a God of love, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. All of those things are true of God. Well, what's true of man? Though the liberals, at the very heart of the liberal movement, as Machen says, was a loss of the consciousness of sin. But Machen saw this as an absolute disaster because to lose the consciousness of sin was formerly the starting point of all preaching. He said, characteristic of the modern age, above all else, is a supreme confidence in human goodness. The religious literature of the day is redolent of the confidence. Get beneath the rough exterior of men, we're told, and we shall discover enough self-sacrifice to found upon it the hope of society. The world's evil, it is said, can be overcome with the world's good. No help is needed from outside that world. This pagan understanding that all people are in their heart, well, the deep down, you know, if you just figure out all the bad stuff that happened to them that made them this way, you know, at the very heart of people, this is what liberals say, people are just basically good. And if we can just dial into all that goodness, we can overcome evil. I mean, it sounds like I'm I'm Oprah at my weight class and everything right now. I'm just Oprah. It just sounds like an Oprah sermon. And, and that's how the that's how the liberals talked. This optimistic view of man, unaided human nature, and Machen countered their view of man with this: Christianity is a religion of the broken heart. You see, friend, your heart isn't deep down good, sweet, and lovely. Deep down, your heart, who you are inside of you, your very essence of your true self is broken. Machen says it this way, but although Christianity does not end with a broken heart, it does begin with the broken heart. It begins with a consciousness of sin, Without the consciousness of sin, the whole of the gospel will seem to be an idle tale. But how can the consciousness of sin be revived? Something no doubt can be accomplished by the proclamation of the law of God, for the law reveals transgressions. What does that mean? It means that we need to tell people that God is holy and that we are sinners by nature and by choice. And we have violated his perfect standard of holiness in the way that we've thought, in the way that we've lived, in the way that we've wanted. In our failure to worship God as creatures who should live lives of gratitude and thankfulness and obedience to God, we've rebelled against God. And in that rebellion shows not just missteps, but it shows brokenness inside of us, a brokenness that we inherited from our first parents. And there is no gospel hope 
if a person cannot acknowledge that they are sinful, that they are broken, that they are wrong, and that they've wronged God, that they deserve judgment from God. And Machen says the fundamental flaw of the modern church is that she's busily engaged in an absolutely impossible task. She's busily engaged in calling the righteous to repentance. Modern preachers are trying to bring men into the church without requiring them to relinquish their pride. They're trying to help men avoid the conviction of sin. The preacher gets up into the pulpit, opens the Bible, and addresses the congregation somewhat as follows. This is Machen describing how the liberals preach. You people are very good, he says. You respond to every appeal that looks toward the welfare of the community. Now we have in the Bible, especially in the life of Jesus, something so good that we believe it's good enough even for you good people. Such is modern preaching. It's heard every Sunday in thousands of pulpits, but it's entirely futile. Even our Lord did not call the righteous to repentance, and probably we shall be no more successful than he. This is why Machen invested his life and his money and his time and eventually his health and his own demise into the commitment to the seminary. And I think this is a good word for us because we go to a church where there's a seminary in our parking lot, unusual thing. And I know I've been here at Grace almost 20 years and I don't know how that happened, but I remember early days meeting some sweet people at Grace who were kind of seminary Grace Church. They they saw the seminary as something definitely separate, something non-critical to our mission here at the church, something that maybe even was a distraction. And certainly they, they may have even raised some good points. They'd say things like, well, you know, the people in the church don't get to do any teaching because you have all these seminarians hogging pulpits, practicing on us, uh, and eating our food. So, so you know, that there's, there's, some, there's some point there. But one of the lessons from Machen's life and his view of God and man is just how important it is that any church, not just a giant church in, in Los Angeles that has a seminary in the parking lot, but any church needs to be making sure that they are investing in a future generation of ministers who will understand this truth. And the seminary benefits from its relationship to the church as much as the church benefits from its relationship to the seminary because holding on to the reality of the gospel, which is what a church has to do, people coming to faith, people acknowledging their sin, people hearing about the holiness of God and the way of salvation through the cross of Christ and through his resurrection, the church maintains through the testimony of the converted a consciousness of sin. And the seminary has to maintain the doctrinal commitments that ensure that we understand just how bad sin is and how holy God is. And so as, as, as I read through Machen in this part, and I, as I you know, saw that in one of the books, they even had a copy of his royalty check, I think for uh, writing Christianity and Liberalism, he made 300 bucks over the course of a year. Big money in the Christian book publishing. Uh, it wasn't big money, it was tiny money. And he was already rich. And you know what Machen did with his money? He, he invested it. He gave it to foreign missions. In fact, the reason he left the Presbyterian church uh, 
USA. It's, they all have different names now, but there was a, the Southern Presbyterian Church merge. He, he left the mainline Presbyterian Church because the main reason he left was because they were supporting missionaries who were not Christians. They were sending missionaries all over the world. They were writing books about how Christianity and Islam are compatible religions that we could just all work together. And Machen said, I'm not giving my money to this. One of the famous Presbyterian missionaries in his day won the Nobel Peace Prize, Pearl Buck. She, a famous movie and and book. She wrote a book first. They made it into a movie. Heaven on Earth, is it called? Inherit, what's it called again? Inherit the Wind, yeah. And Pearl Buck is like just a run-of-the-mill pagan. She wasn't wasn't a Christian at all. Uh, She spent her life in China spreading her false doctrines, but the Presbyterian Church was supporting her. And Machen is so frustrated by the existence of these missionaries that he starts a committee against the whole deal. And then the, the presbytery disciplines Machen out of the church, kicks him out and basically says, it's the same as if you refuse to take the Lord's Supper. You won't support our missionaries, then you're not in our church anymore. And that's where the Orthodox Presbyterian Church would come from eventually. So what, what I'm trying to drive at here is Machen was a warrior for truth. Machen was... Uh, doctrinally focused. Machen was obsessed with realities, with propositions. As a New Testament scholar, he was somebody who had studied the Bible as detailed as it could be studied and walked away and knew that any assault on the truth of Scripture was an assault on the church, on Christ himself, on the nature of God, and on the hope of salvation. And so really, that's why chapter 4 is about the Bible, I think that's next, the Bible. So the liberals saw the Bible as a wonderful, you know, lovely, beautiful accoutrement of our faith. They looked at it as literature. They looked at it as something that really was to be experienced, not necessarily believed. Machen says, according to the Christian view, the Bible contains an account of a revelation from God to man, which is found nowhere else. And one of the root errors of modern liberalism, Christian experience, is useful as confirming the gospel message. But it is necessary, many men have jumped to the conclusion that experience is all that's necessary. Having a present experience of Christ in the heart May we not, it is said, hold that experience no matter what history may tell us as to the events of the first Easter morning. May we not make ourselves altogether independent of the results of biblical criticism. No matter what sort of man history may tell us Jesus of Nazareth actually was, no matter what history may say about the real meaning of his death or the story of his alleged resurrection, may we not continue to experience the presence of Christ in our souls. So that's what the liberals would do. They would say, look, you don't have to believe that you know, Jesus actually was a historical figure, that he actually rose from the dead, that he actually died on the cross. Probably there was somebody called Jesus, um, but he was, they would say, the first Christian. And we follow after his moral example and getting all tied up in the details, which, you know, every smart, educated person knows there's contradictions here. Well, why don't we just experience the presence of Christ among us? We are the body of Christ, aren't we? And so you see how they like take the the Christian language and cut the root of truth out of it? And Machen 
I mean, he goes wild in this chapter. It's a fun chapter to read. Before the full authority of the Bible can be established, therefore, it is necessary to add to the Christian doctrine of revelation the Christian doctrine of inspiration. The latter doctrine means that the Bible is not only an account of important things, but that the account itself is true. The writers, having been so preserved from error, despite a full maintenance of their habits of thought and expression, then the resulting book is the infallible rule of faith and practice. And so what does he describe? He describes inerrancy. He describes uh, inspiration. He describes the view of Scripture that sees the Holy Scriptures as God's very word to us, the infallible rule of faith and practice. This is over against the liberal view of the Bible that tries to say, well, the Bible's not our authority. Christ is our authority. You've heard people say this if you've been at Grace Church for a little while. Well, those people at Grace Church, they worship the Bible. We worship Christ. Well, who is that? Where did you find out about him? Tell me one thing you know about Christ that you didn't get from here because you don't find Christ by looking at a tree. You don't find Christ by looking at one another. You find Christ through the revelation of God in the incarnation as given to us by the scriptures that were breathed out by God. That's where we find Christian doctrine, not through Christian consciousness or Christian experience. Machen says the Christian man, on the other hand, compared to Christian consciousness or Christian experience, finds in the Bible the very word of God. Let it not be said that dependence upon a book is a dead or an artificial thing. The Reformation of the 16th century was founded upon the authority of the Bible, yet it set the world aflame. Dependence upon a word of man would be slavish, but dependence on God's word is life. Dark and gloomy would be the world if we were left to our own devices and had no blessed word of God. The Bible to the Christian is not a burdensome law, but the very Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Chapter five on Christ. We gotta keep moving. We gotta cook. Chapter five on Christ. So who is Jesus? And we've, we've touched a little bit about this. Was he a moral example or is he the savior and the God man? Is he the founder of, the, of Christianity, the first Christian, or is he supernatural? So moral example, that's what the liberals would say. Founder or first Christian, that's what the liberals would say. Machen says he's savior and he's God of very God. He's supernatural. He goes on. Jesus was no mere pioneer in a new type of religious life, but one who was regarded and regarded himself as the savior whom people could trust. In the gospels, Jesus is represented constantly as dealing with the problem of sin. He always assumes that other people are sinful, yet he never finds sin in himself. A stupendous difference is found here between Jesus's experience and ours. So everything in this chapter is setting Jesus apart as the son of God, setting Jesus apart as the redeemer. Uh, He goes through Paul's conception of the person of Christ, Jesus's conception of himself, the witness of the New Testament being perfectly consistent as Jesus is the one who is both God and man. Uh, He says, Jesus was not for Paul merely an example for faith. He was primarily the object of faith. The religion of Paul did not consist in having faith in God like the faith which Jesus had in God. It consisted rather in having faith in Jesus. 
Liberalism saw Jesus as the founder of Christianity because he was the first Christian and Christianity consists in maintenance of the religious life, which Jesus instituted. Uh, But by modern liberalism, that, that kind of regard to see Jesus that way, how Christians stand in religious relation to Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Jesus is not a mere example for faith. He is the object of faith. Jesus is not one who knew God in a special way. Jesus did know God in a special way because Jesus is God, a very God. And so Jesus, though he is a supreme example, is not just a supreme example. He is supernatural. And the case for the existence of his miracles and the necessity, and in Machen's word, miracles are the warp and woof of the account of Jesus. Chapter six, salvation. Chapter six, salvation. Is the cross central? How is evil overcome? The cross is the point where the liberals do most of their damage. No longer is the cross central, but the cross is criticized. All of the truths presented plainly in the New Testament, which is cruciform in every way. It's everything points towards the cross. Every gospel account points towards the cross. Every epistle points towards the cross. The entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament all points towards the cross. The liberals find the cross horrifying. An example of divine child abuse. And Machen argued to restore the, the, the cross-centered message of the gospel. He says, to deny the necessity of atonement is to deny the existence of a real moral order. And it's strange how those who venture upon such denial can regard themselves as disciples of Jesus, for if one thing is clear in the record of Jesus's life, it is that Jesus recognized the justice as distinguished from the love of God. God is love, according to Jesus, but he is not only love. Jesus spoke in terrible words of the sin that shall never be forgiven, either in this world or in that which is to come. Clearly, Jesus recognized the existence of retributive justice. Jesus was far from accepting the light, modern view of sin. He goes on to say, there's no hope apart from the cross. It's the cardinal doctrine The liberty of the gospel depends on the gift of God by which the Christian life has begun. Uh, Regeneration means a new life, new creation, a new relation in which the believer stands towards God. Faith, according to the Christian view, means simply receiving a gift. The person who believes has faith in Christ, simply accepts the sacrifice which Christ offered on Calvary. The result of such faith is new life and all good works, but salvation itself is an absolutely free gift of God. He concludes in chapter seven by talking about the church. And in the church, uh, this, I think this quote does the job for us. Thus, Christianity differs from liberalism in the way in which the transformation of society is conceived. According to Christian belief, as well as according to liberalism, there is really to be a transformation of society. It's not true that the Christian evangelist is interested in the salvation of individuals without being interested in the salvation of the race. And even before the salvation of all society has been achieved, there's already a society of those who have been saved. That society is the church. The church is the highest Christian answer to the social needs of man. You see, what's happening in, in Machen's conception of the church 
and there's a lot you can go into here, is the liberals saw the church as primarily an influence on society in improving people's lives in the here and now. Machen said the way that you improve society is through the conversion of sinners to Christ. And that's the mission of the church. And it was being lost by these these emphases. So what do we take from Machen? Let's wrap this whole thing up and thank you for your patience today with all my troubles. But uh, how do we wrap this whole thing up? There's so many stories I didn't get to tell. Machen, such a strange cat. He wrote a letter to an editor, the Philadelphia paper, because Machen was a bit of a libertarian, like a true New Mexican. Um, He just wanted less government intrusion. And he was sick and tired of government intrusion. We were talking earlier about his, uh, he hated compulsory public education. He has a whole book about that. There's some of it in introduction, but some laws had recently been passed in Philadelphia that he could not deal with. And so he wrote this letter to the editor that's scathing. He's complaining about, you know, people need freedom. They need to be able to make choices. They need to be able to develop on their own and not be babied by a tyrannical government. Sick of it. You know what he's complaining about? Jaywalking laws. <laughs> I mean, there's just nobody like Jay Gresham Machen. And that kind of like obstinance and vigor and insistence was everything in his life. He shouldn't have gone to North Dakota to preach. He should have taken a nap. But because he was Machen, he's able to write these scathing letters to the editor and a diatribe against liberalism that lasts 100 years. And I think the lesson that we take away from it is your Christianity needs to be robust. It needs to have doctrinal commitments. The essentials of the faith need to be understood and they need to be held on to. And the key to winning the world isn't to compromise on those essential things. It's to double down in our defense of them. And so what I love about Machen for all his quirks and for even the the, kind of the dark side of Machen that didn't even get into his Southern aristocracy stuff, which is, is highly and easily rejectable, is with Machen, you have a fighter, someone who defended the truth, an example to all of us that to compromise on Christian doctrine is not to become a more progressive kind of Christian, but it's to not be a Christian at all. And that's why doctrinal compromise is so deadly when it comes to the essentials of the faith. I'll close with a quote from Chesterton. The true soldier fights, not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. Machen was an ardent defender of the faith. He cared about the church. He cared about the seminarians. He cared about the pulpits and the pews. And as he fought with his dying breath and energy and money and influence and everything he had, he defended the scriptures because he knew to defend the scriptures was to defend the people of God and to defend the people of God was to defend the existence of the gospel and to defend the gospel meant that it was hope for a dying world. And I think that's the lesson of J. Gresham Machen. Say you wanna read more. Uh, you could read Christianity Liberalism. There's a really cool new edition coming out with like a hip cover. You can find it on Amazon. It's gonna have some introductory essays. I think it comes out in a few uh, weeks or a month or so. 
Uh, it's the 100th anniversary edition. The one that I have on the screen there has a nice little intro by Carl Truman. It's just a couple pages long, though, so I don't know if it's worth the price because you can get the PDF of Christianity and Liberalism free online if you just Google Machen Christianity and Liberalism PDF. It'll come up, I promise. And so you can get a free copy. They also have free copies on Kindle if you'd like to read it for yourself. Uh, the best biography was done by uh, one of his contemporaries, a colleague, Ned Stonehouse, and that's, it's called J. Gresham Machen, really creative title. Um, so that's, that's that book, and that's that famous picture of him with the, uh, the, the faculty of Westminster when they started out, just like seven of them, and he's sitting in the middle in his chair. Uh, look at him. What a dude. And, and then uh, a, more, a more contemporary biography that, that tries to analyze uh, Machen's uh, life and influence is called Defending the, the Faith by Heart. So those are the three that I'd, I'd recommend. Uh, I'll be standing up here if anybody has questions, but thanks for coming to a little Sundays in July talk. Uh, enjoy you some Machen. <laughs>